All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the One Percent Health. We have Rob Gill as our guest today. We're excited to have him on. We have Nash as usual, and we are missing one member. Um, Clarissa is running for Mrs. Utah uh, this week and is uh, overwhelmed with all that's going on. So we will not have her on today, and uh, we'll dearly miss her. Uh, again, uh, we'd like to emphasize that uh, we do talk about sensitive content. Uh, there may be some trigger warnings. Uh, also, we are not professionals. Uh, seek uh, professional help when we talk about addiction and other conditions and, and such. So, Rob, thank you for joining us. It, you are you came with an entourage, <laughs> showed up in the Black Limo <laughs> service. You've been speaking uh, uh, here in Utah. Um, we are going to we're going to highlight your uh, what you've done in the community and family and mm. and your career and uh, also talk about some sensitive topics that we'll get into. Um, what were you doing today? Where 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 you been? So today was awesome. I I have been coming into Utah like on, on once a month on a monthly a couple of days for I'd say every first or second week um, of each month. But we came a little bit later this time because. You know, Randy had invited me personally to uh, something that was happening on Sunday where I had the good fortune of meeting you. And today I was at Tax Hive, which is a, a place where small business owners, you know, really they go and learn how to get not a tax write-off, but more tax strategies when it comes to their money, time, freedom, and uh, real concise reporting. And, and the magical part of Tax Hive is they have an unbelievable Facebook, Instagram model that drives traffic to them. Awesome. And then they offer these products and, and then we go in there on the financial engineering side of executing on whatever the plans are. So we were awesome. able to speak on their stage and had a cool meeting afterwards and then we shot right over here. Awesome. Well thank you for shooting uh, over here. You're honored. Yeah. We uh, totally honored. We met at Randy Garn's house on Sunday. His uh, daughter is serving a, a two year mission for the Church of Jesus Christ Latter day Saints. Yeah. And I actually think it's uh, an eighteen year eighteen month mission since she's a female. So um, thank you. We, we, uh, Nash and yourself and I, we talked about art and, and life and, mm. and we heard your story and we are fascinated to dive in that today. Before we dive into that, can, can you talk a little bit about your company and yeah. uh, you're the CEO kind of talk about your, your past and your career. We'll start there. Yeah. Uh, real fast. If, if you don't mind, first of all, yeah. Nash painting the way he paints is the <laughs> wildest, craziest, most unbelievable, miraculous thing I've ever heard of in my life. Uh, totally blown away by that and uh save as well as you your Thank journey you. your story and what you were sharing was Thank just you. just incredible and how the connection of you two uh which is amazing so epic Thank financial you. strategies that's the brand uh epic stands for empower protect integrate coordinate and really what we are is and it's going to sound like everybody else but we're a one-stop shop financial planning and wellness center for individuals corporate executives entrepreneurs business owners that are looking for proper planning. I think what separates us, though, and this is the magic of the state of Utah, the ability to market in a way that all you good folks know how to do it here. It's way different here than everywhere else mm -hmm. in the United States, as far as I'm concerned. And I think what we've created is an engine on how to be able to have a reach to people all across the country. And as a result of that, we built platforms, systems, and strategies on how to talk to anybody. Not, And, and we love talking to the 1%, but we also love talking to the other 99% as well. Mm -hmm. And and what makes Utah different? I'm curious. Well, say that again. I'm sorry. What what, what makes Utah? You you said oh, Utah. so the yeah. social media um, mindset, work ethic, engine, understanding of how how it works is incredible. Mm. You know, in in on the East Coast, there'll be people that'll 
I'm just going to give a roundabout number, but they'll charge, let's say, eight or 10000 a month to do social media. And it's like they do paid for ads, but it's not even congruent with like the doctor that's buying the package, you know? Uh-huh. And, and then you sit here and you learn algorithm hashtags and you learn a whole system of social media marketing, whether you want to go organic or not, but with funnels and, and, and having a whole story told to get the person to hear your good message, it doesn't exist that much around where I'm from, but everywhere I come, every street corner around here, it seems like the people that are a high level talent pool of social media mm-hmm. experts. Lots of influencers from Utah. Lots no question about of, yeah. it. Yeah. Entrepreneurial state for sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. And that's one of the trades. That's the secrets I tell everybody. You should go, go hang out in Utah for a little bit. You're going to learn a lot. <laughs> yeah. To go on that, I'm from Washington, D.C., and you're kind of programmed to get your college degree, mm. uh, r- rise up in a company for 30, 40 years, try to get to the top. You come to Utah and people are like, uh, yeah, I'm just mm. going to start, start top, start a company, figure it all out. You know, we have we, we seem to have uh, kids young here in this state and yep. we have to make money real quick. So that might be driving some of the entrepreneurship. Maybe but that's interesting. I love that you that your perspective. That's very very interesting. Yeah, you know, I think. Listen, I grew up Catholic. Um, I I believe in the universal God force. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sober since 1996. So for me, when I think, and I don't know the Mormon religion, but what I do know is the faith that's tied into the religion, the mission that a lot of folks have to go through at the age of 18 to either 20 or 19 yeah. and a half. That. I believe is the centerpiece. This is just my theory. Yeah. I believe that's the connective tissue on why pound for pound, the talent pool here is better than everywhere else. That's just wow. my opinion. Wow. I put love some deep idea. thought into this. Yes. Obviously. And I love asking and digging. We don't, we haven't talked too much about uh, certain religions and even Mormonism on this podcast. And, yep. and you brought it up and I love the perspective. And I love that. So yeah. thanks for the, for, thanks for that. The um, let's, let's, let's dig back. Um, into kind of your upbringing and how things come about let's uh get into the story you told us on sunday and and uh, let's you know where you're from what's your family background and all that good stuff awesome um i grew up in bayonne new jersey 12 miles outside of manhattan i'm the youngest of four between me and the next youngest was eight years and then 10 then 11 and then 12 basically um parents did the best they can with the tools that they had there was no financial education you know, my dad was a police officer. Uh, we typically ran out of money every month by the 20th or 21st. So I always remember, like, you know, you don't you don't understand it when you're little. But when when you think about it later, the, the fighting that went on in our house was always because there was no money the last 10 days. Mm. And that became a pattern that even to the day that my dad passed away, you know, that was a present that was present for him. Um, it always breaks my heart when I talk about that, because. Mm-hmm what I've learned and discovered and through the gift of um, desperation, that's God, right? For me, uh, I had the good fortune to live in two lives, one of self-imprisonment, drug addiction, alcoholism, and then the freedom on the other side of that. So growing up in Bayonne, um, my sister who had passed away in 2016 of an overdose, when I was in, when I was, um, I wanna say in 1982, she was in rehab. And it was the day, whenever Ronald Reagan got shot, mm. that day she got kicked out of rehab. She was 16, I was eight. Oh my gosh. And she was a heroin addict. Mm. Um, so my household, you know, we talk about family addiction, right? Mm-hmm. Now you have an addicted person. Mm-hmm. The whole family is in prison. It's just the way it is. And back in, in the early 80s, rehabs were just coming into form. 
but there was no like real good understanding. I think if you went to rehab, there was like a 2% chance of actually right. staying sober statistically back then. <clears throat> so, you know, she, she was from 16 to 19, she was in and out. And then she finally did get sober when she was 19. Wow. Was let, Off of yeah, heroin. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So she was 19. I was 11. Um, and, and there is parallels here because when I was eight, nine and 10, I used to go to the rehabs with the family as a guest. So I, I actually understood early on that alcohols and drugs could be a major problem. Mm -hmm. And I actually had some, some training just by going there, not training, but I remember yeah. whenever she would celebrate 90 days or a year or two years, we would go. I also remember that I was, that that wasn't going to be me. I was going to be mm -hmm. too good. You know what I mean? Like that can yeah. never happen to me. And that, you know, you, there was a sense of feeling sorry for her, but all of a sudden in her sobriety from 19 to 29, and keep in mind, my brother, who passed away recently, he was in Columbia Graduate School, loved my brother, but my sister wound up being, you want to talk about an entrepreneur, mm. having better jobs and incomes than my Columbia Graduate School brother, mm. who didn't have the ability of, of understanding how to work for a boss, right? It was a challenge back, for him. Back to what I said about being programmed on the East Coast. Yes, <laughs> yes. And he was the <laughs> oldest, too, and loved my brother. Um, miss him every day. But he was, he was so conditioned economic conditioning to boom, 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 you know, high school, college, um, graduate school. And at the end of the day, it didn't translate in the real yeah. world financially. Right. So what, my sister, you, on the other hand, do you mind sharing how he passed away? Is that, is that okay? You know, he passed away of a heart attack in mm. June, but it was a complication for years before that, that started with diabetes. Okay. Um, he was 62 and, um, you know, it, it, it really kind of, you know, for the last three or four years, his life became ch more and more challenging. Uh -huh. The last three months, and it's funny because I have such a thought like, you know, I'm always asking empowering questions. I'm always looking for the survival bright side, which was the uh -huh. opposite when I was drinking and drugging. But sometimes I'm in denial because I remember thinking the same thing happened with my dad. You know, they're going to fight through this. They're going to get uh -huh. through this. There's going to be something. And both times it, it happened the same way. Right, like the the signs and the writings were on the wall, mm -hmm. right? But um, I was in denial about that because I I think I try and guard what comes into my head, mm -hmm. and um, maybe not the most responsible thing. But he was actually with me coaching one of my AU games probably two weeks before he passed away. Jeez. Oh, so um, you know, very very sad because when you think of life fulfillment, um, I don't think that he lived the life that he wanted to live. You know, mm -hmm. my sister had the good fortune of at least 10 years sobriety. Um, I think one of her, I think she lived longer though, because when I got sober and I had some good fortune financially, I probably mm -hmm. enabled her to live a little bit longer than she would have because mm -hmm. after her relapse at 29 until she passed away at 50, oh my gosh, Rob. she was in another 22 rehabs. Mm -hmm. and, um, 22. Yeah, like she went just, to rehab twenty two times. She has all the connections, and you know it would be going to get a tune up kind of thing. And mm. she knew the system, and um, and I was helping her pay rent for like three years at one point. Mm. You know, so you know she she early on there was times where she was homeless. You know, and and as I got sober, and they teach us tough love, I couldn't I couldn't not give her a place to live or yeah. make sure I just couldn't do that. It just yeah. I still wouldn't do that to this day. Like I just did, did she go know, back to the heroin or was it yeah that's what she yeah. she overdosed on heroin okay yep yep oh, that was her drug of choice yeah. absolutely so so now um through high school um my my sister that stays that was sober uh, i'll use the word normal mm -hmm. <laughs> even though she's crazier yeah. than all of us 
But my normal sister, um, if anyone watches your show, they'll, they'll know this name. She married Bob Hurley, the coach of St. Anthony's in, mm. in Jersey City's brother, mm -hmm. Tim Hurley. Okay. So, so Bob has two sons, Danny and Bobby Jr., that are both college coaches right now. Okay. Bob is the, the, known as the greatest high school coach mm -hmm. in history. And um, when my sister married his brother, Tim, I met them in 1980, 81. Wow. So sometimes you don't know that you're wow. going to meet the greatest high school coach ever. For, and it's going to be, you know, at the same parties you're at for the next 10, 20 years. You don't know that the kids he raises are going to be the, some of the greatest college point guards ever. And now maybe one of the, there's one of the, you know, UConn yeah. is in the sweet 16. They have a chance yeah. of going to the final four. So you don't know what you don't know when it's happening. Right. Yeah. Um, and I remember like the only thing I really hung on to as something that was a purpose in my life was just to play basketball. And by, by the way, I was average, mm. but I had the good fortune of proximity and being in proximity, I was able to play with kids that were way better than me. As a result, I wound up playing division three basketball. Oh, awesome. And um, Where I was during my, in a Castleton state college in Vermont. Okay. okay. And in my senior year, I started drinking for the first time because mm. I was, I, I for the knew first time as a senior. Time. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's not. It, it's good, but it was you know it's funny because from fifteen to twenty five it was a wild ride. Yeah, right? I'm sorry from nine from eighteen to twenty five. Yeah, eighteen twenty five. Uh, yeah, my senior year. And by the way, just for everybody listening, my senior year, you know, I was going to Division three college. It was going to be great. I I started drinking, let's say in December, and then by February I was at a dance. Somebody gave me cocaine. I didn't like the taste of alcohol, mm -hmm. so you know. Yeah. Somebody gave me cocaine, and and I did it. First of all, I blew the lines off the tape. All the guys in the car got mad. It was, it oh, my off. I didn't do it the right way. Oh, but my god. And I finally did it the right way. That goes $60. Yeah, yeah. You're feeling the pain there, right? So um, I did it, and then I'm in the dance because I didn't realize it was different than alcohol. And, like, I'm telling everybody that, hey, I just did cocaine. It's not affecting me, except I told it to 100 <laughs> people, right? <laughs> So yeah, right. So um, did you have alcohol with it or just cocaine? Um, probably at that point it was maybe one or two beers. Yeah. You know, I would never do it after that unless I was drinking though. Yeah. But I did love it the first time I did it. I didn't like alcohol, but the first time I did cocaine, I was in love. Yeah. Bar none. Did it done make deal. you feel everything normal? changed? Did it make you feel like was it like was it a calm down? Was it a speed up? Was it a social was, thing? So I was at a, I was at a dance and and um I didn't know how to like like fit in with people at, at certain certain groups right in a mm -hmm. bigger setting privately I was always good but in bigger setting and I was talking to everybody mm -hmm. and I was and like just blah, 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 you know just running yeah. around like a like a crazy man they no one ever yeah. saw that side um and then you know it just and I remember the guilt that I had because listen mm -hmm. I knew that I wasn't supposed to do that. Your dad's right? a police officer. My dad was a police officer. I know all about drugs and alcohol. Yeah. That was a no-no. And um, I, I really enjoyed feeling guilty in my life. I was brought up that way to, mm -hmm. to embrace yeah. guilt as, a, as something that was like heroic. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think living in guilt was was also a byproduct of you know my upbringing as well. No one did anything on purpose, yeah. of course. My dad worked three jobs. Did the best he could, but there was no money, and he would blame my mom. And mm -hmm. you know, my mom was doing prescription pills because she had been in a car accident and mm -hmm. kind of never got out of that. My sister was a heroin addict, and no one was telling me to do homework. And yeah. um, when the lights went on at night, you know, like the street lights. So mm -hmm. in Bayonne, there was seventy-five thousand people in a three-mile radius with schoolyards wow. all over the place. So when the lights went out, all the good kids had to go home for dinner. Mm -hmm. So I used to act like I had to go home for dinner, but I really didn't. 
you know, um, which led me to hanging out, not to their bed, yeah. but I really found a lot more comfort and safety with the kids in the projects. Yeah. And um, I related more to them. And to this and, day, even in my AAU basketball program, which I'd love to get into at the end if we can. Yes, um, definitely. That is playing itself out in such an unpredictable way. No, I'm the GM. Oh, it's going to be a really good story. Oh. Yeah, it's it's. Um, <laughs> I but, disrupted. There's a lot of disruption going on based on uh, the way I see things. So, well, when you were so you were 18, you tried 18 is when you tried coke for the first time, and you were February senior year. February senior year. So you were going. You were still that's basketball I, season. I still had another month left. Yep. Yeah, wow. I had a good season. I didn't do coke again until that summer. Okay. But but my prompt. So but I did. By the time I got to graduation, my goal in college was to be popular and basketball became like the third or fourth thing, okay. even before I got there. It wasn't even important anymore. So because I because I felt like I did so much practice and discipline towards basketball, I missed out on parties. Right. Mm -hmm. That was my thinking. Um, my senior prom, I do go a goofball. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like half mesk, half acid, uh, cocaine alcohol and something else and we went no down idea to the what you're doing did you <laughs> well, <laughs> at the time no so i go down the, so the prom afterwards is a party at the at a house and i'm from jersey so it's a yep. jersey shore house not the not the mm -hmm. show on mtv but and it was right on the ocean you could hear the ocean from the house and i was hallucinating so bad i thought the house was in wow. the, middle of the ocean right i don't um, think i've ever heard of acid and cocaine at the same time no no acid and uh mask and I did coke oh, okay. next to that. Like, so it was a pill, right? And this was like wow. a 12-hour thing. This wasn't like, oh, yeah, like that, 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, that goes. So, yeah. So, um, and and what's interesting is there was a person that um, I had a, a fist fight with, like, let's say a month or two before mm -hmm. that. And he could have got me that night because I, 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 and he was mm -hmm. there. And I remember thinking, you know, oh, my God, I might I might have to get into a fight. Like, yeah. I remember thinking that and I never like to stand on no, but I, I'm going to protect myself. Yep, you know, I'm yep, not, yep. I'm not, you know, I wasn't a guy that was running around beating yep. everybody up, but I was yep. also somebody that was going to know can. how to at least handle myself yep. in certain situations, yep. which is, you know, part of what happens when you live that life of drugs mm -hmm. and alcohol and mm -hmm. um, you find yourself in, in situations that are very unpredictable, right? Mm -hmm. Including what we talked about, which I'll get into when, when the car I was driving got shot up. Mm. Um, and that was like fast forwarding later. But, you know, by the time I got into the summer, and I'm on my way to Vermont. I was cocaine was going to be something I was doing for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. That was it. Like, like I didn't care about basketball. I didn't care about grades. And I had a lot of fun in Vermont. Um, joined a fraternity, played basketball for two years before wow. I fell off. And you know, I always tell this story too. I was I was on a mountain. It was a day. The last day, because I was already, I was, I was already in the fraternity. Now we were pledging mm -hmm. other kids. It's called Hell Night. Mm -hmm. And um, once again, I did this time. I did acid and cocaine. Jeez. And um, I was on the mountain, and you could see like the stars and the satellites actually. But one of the things I fell in the river because I, I, I figured out for one split second there was no cell phone and iPhone or nothing. But I figured out the meaning of life, what this was all about. Of course, but it, but it was gone. Yeah. I lost it a second later. <laughs> And and I'm telling you, I really figured it out. Like I knew what this whole thing was, but it was like, boop. Um, and it left me after that. But you know what I remember? I mm -hmm. went down to somebody's car, and there was a person there that wasn't part of our group. And all of a sudden, I'm in a car with a person that I don't know, having a bizarre conversation. I mean, he had guns and everything all over the place. 
And I remember thinking, you know, when you get when you think about things later on and you look back, like there's probably 10 or 20 incidences where I escaped either prison or, or death, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and if we go multiverse, if we go parallel universe, there's a version of me that that did mm-hmm. fall victim to what I just described. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. a real thing. Um, I'm not saying there's a parallel universe. I'm just saying like yeah. in the right. in the world of left and right and things happening and connecting dots, those are really present. Mm. So I leave Vermont after four years. Um, my GPA is 1.67. Wow. Um, you know, no, I mean, didn't care about. I it. was having fun, right? Yep. Didn't care about it. And for and this is four years later. I come back to Bayonne. Now I'm bartending. I'm waiting tables and I'm landscaping. And I am now. I'm not making this a class thing, but middle class, blue collar, going to be in a bar. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my life. You yep. know, kids. I was graduate that went to high school. Me becoming lawyers and accountants. And the hope was really gone. It really, I yeah. was losing hope and and comfortable in. I'm not going to say if you're in a bar, you're media, you're, you're media. It's it's mediocrity, yeah. but I was really comfortable. I was going to say, were you comfortable with this outlook? Yeah, totally okay. accepted it. Okay. Um, I didn't feel good about myself. Um, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't going to help make the world a better place. I didn't. Did you I recognize like, that at the time? Yeah, because I yeah. knew about the disease of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Like I was not confused about that. Yeah. And it was so powerful for me that, you know, I think for like, I want to say four to five years straight, there wasn't a weekend that didn't go by that I did do cocaine. Yeah. Were you, were you, you were paying for it? Yeah. Were you, were you dealing it all to not every time I tried or. Oh uh, yeah, well every time I tried to deal it, it uh, you know, it wouldn't work cuz yeah, I would just do it. did it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> what did you get up to? What was the expenditure every week? You know, um probably and I wasn't making big I wasn't making any money then. Yeah. God, you know, if it was now, God forbid, but Yeah. I would say at least maybe 3-400 with okay. no bills living so in co- my parents' house. Couple you know of what I mean? Like a week. Yeah. And that was my out of pocket, but there was always some more there. Somebody yeah. else was bringing, you yeah. know, so that was a real thing. Uh, the lost opportunity cost calculation, I've, I've done that before, and it's, we're, it's over we're, It's over a million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Where are you, were you doing it? Uh, were you sleeping at all? Were you, were you going two or three days? What, what was, do you, yeah. remember, do you remember drop-offs? Do you remember yep. any severe depression, suicidal ideation, any of that stuff? I'll get into that in a second. Okay. Um, I'll tell you this. Uh, the fr- the Thursday night that I was just going to have one beer would mm-hmm. last Sunday. Um, you know, I'd be in and out for three for those three days, um, maybe getting limited sleep, maybe sometimes no sleep. You know, mm-hmm. that happened a lot. Yeah. You know, those hallucina- hallucinations came into play. But the first time I thought about killing myself was, um, and it was only twice in my life. Okay. But the first time was... Um, I had gotten arrested the first, uh, let's, uh, I'm going to give a 12 month timeline. I got arrested for cocaine possession Okay, and I was put on conditional discharge a year later to the, maybe the day before the second arrest came. Oh, wow. That second arrest, I got arrested at like six o'clock on a Friday night. Mm. I was let out at nine o'clock, nine o'clock at night. I went over and got more drugs mm-hmm. in Staten Island. I lived in Bayonne. I usually went to Harlem, but this time I went to Staten wow. Island. And that was the night that I felt like I, I should die, that everybody yep. would be better if I was dead. Like, that was, was a real feeling. It, it was an outlook of how everybody looked at you, or do you think it was from the the drop off, drop off of after cocaine? Or was it? Was uh, it- well, I always came, well, coming down was always terrible. Yeah. I mean, but I never felt suicidal. As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, I, when I would be coming down, I would pray that I didn't have a heart attack, that my parents would find me dead. Yeah. 
So I was on the other side of that. However, when I got arrested that second time and I went out that same night, that was that's when I felt like like you just no, you no just no one thought, loves me. Yeah, like, okay. I'm a piece of shit. It was an outlook. That's okay. We, um, we, we put explicit on this. So. Yep. I'm, I'm worthless. I'm no good. Nobody likes me. I'm such yeah. a bum. My parents, my parents must be ashamed. My dad's going to find out about this arrest. Mm -hmm. um, it's embarrassing. You know, the cops all knew me, you know, because at this point I was 25, right? You had the religious shame in you built in. And the social yeah. fear of, yeah. of people's opinion. No doubt yeah. about it. No question about it. Yeah. So um, it was within three weeks from that point, though, was when I was driving in a car on a third drug run in that night at mm -hmm. seven in the morning, Memorial wow. Day weekend. And, um, you know, the guy I was with got out and went to go purchase some cocaine and he wouldn't, someone had a gun to him. He wouldn't give the money up. So he got hit in the head with the gun and then he started running. The, the guy shot him twice um, in the leg. And when I took the car, I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have, what I'm about to tell you right now, I don't think I would have did this over, mm -hmm. but I took the car and I drove it at the drug dealer to give, you know, the guy I was with some time. Mm -hmm. And he turned and shot right through the window, right oh. into the steering wheel. And um, he ran. And then I went and pulled up next to the guy that I was with, brought him in, got him into the car. He was bleeding all over the place. It was my friend's girlfriend's car, by the way, mm. which I kind of stole for the night, just so yeah. we're on the same page. Yeah. And, um, you know, I dropped him off anonymously at the hospital. I didn't want to know mm. that I was with him. Mm. Um, but he, he, you know, it did wind up saving his life. Wow. And what's funny is that still didn't get me sober. Wow. Right? That but, whole thing. And, and the bullet hit the steering wheel coming at you. Yeah. Like yeah. straight on or to the side or. Bro, so so I'm driving straight on to the yep. drug dealer. I make and a he's left. Shooting. No, I make a left. Okay. And as he's shooting, it comes through the side window into the steering wheel. Yeah. Crazy. So. So the next day, um, you know, now I'm feeling like depressed though, not mm -hmm. suicidal, mm -hmm. but depressed. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, you know, I knew that I knew the gig was up. This was four weeks after that sec, that, that, that mm -hmm. second arrest. And I, and I said, I needed help. And I went to rehab to learn. I always knew that I could go to rehab because of my sister. Yeah. Yep. And I always knew that if I went to rehab, watch this guys, if I went to rehab, I was going to be like a blue chip recruit. I was going to do AA a favor if I went to rehab. That's how good I was. I mean, you wanted to help others. You, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I know yourself. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, I got this. Believe me, I'm going to be like my picture is going to be on the wall someday. That is. So uh, I, that was I've the dealt, ego. Yeah, right? I dealt. I've dealt with that my whole life with my father. He always tried to fix everybody in rehab and not himself. Yeah, I, I get yeah, it. Yeah. So I go to rehab, but I go go to learn how to drink without doing cocaine. That mm. was, that never left my head. Um, I go there for, I'm there for, let's say about a month in, in, in Pennsylvania, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, where they have the, uh, the little league world series. Mm -hmm. And, um, I get home and I don't have a job. I can't bartend anymore. Wow. Um, but I do have hope that I could actually do something with my life. Awesome. So my buddy gets me a job on wall street as a cold caller. I saw that on your LinkedIn that you were a broker. Yeah. Awesome. This is yeah. lead, leading to it. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, he gets arrested a week later for arson and gets oh, thrown out. <laughs> so, wow. so, but he got you the job. He got me the job. By the way, and and I'll see this guy like once every ten years. And when I first started doing well, he wanted me to give him money because, mm. like, like he got me a job in '96. I started doing well in '06, and he was like, yeah. you know, like, what about me, kind of thing. I'm yeah, like, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> so, um, but anyway, I, I get the job. 
and I'm making two hundred. No, one hundred fifty dollars a week making four hundred dials. Wow, a four hundred dials a week or a day? A day. Wow. Day. Yeah, yeah. I learned every no. I can anticipate no's now. Because yes, from that time. Great training. So my trainer, though, here, here's here's where the beautiful part is. So remember, I'm going to AA meetings yeah. now. Um, and by the way, my first sponsor was like, when I got out of rehab, he's like, all right, you got to go to a meeting tonight. I'm like, a meeting tonight? He's like, yeah, you got to do 90 meetings in 90 days. I said, 90 meetings in 90 days? What are you talking about? <laughs> so um, that's how delusional. I, I yeah. mean, you want to talk about if there's a level five yeah. and level one listening and and level five being the best, I was like leg- level negative yeah. 10. Um, so... You know, I go to rehab, I come out of rehab, I have a home group, I'm making coffee, cleaning up the ashtrays, yep. going to work every day from 8 in the morning till 8 at night, basically. Wow. Making $150 a week, living in my in the city? House. Is this yep. Jersey? Where, in the city? No, I lived in Jersey, but it was a 12-mile commute to Manhattan. Awesome. So, unfortunately, the first place I worked at, you know, I mean, I mean, it was Coke was all over the place. Oh, my gosh. But I was really good in basketball. And these were below average guys that were making a lot of money mm-hmm. and they liked me because I was really good at basketball. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I had a trainer who's a friend of mine to this day um, who was a, I'm not going to use the word militant, but I'm going to use a precise measured I dot and T cross sales mm-hmm. trainer. I still use his stuff to this day. Awesome. Love that. So I was you know, doing all my dials and yep. you know, he wouldn't let me play in a basketball team at first. Mm. And um, you, had to, you had to earn it. Yeah, but then when I got on the team, I started shortcutting him mm. because the owner of the firm, although he hired this guy, there was always, listen, you guys see this. There's always a power struggle. Mm-hmm. I see it wherever I go. Mm-hmm. I never, it always blows my mind when I see, see see people seek significance because the only time I get my, my let's call it defense mechanisms mm-hmm. or counterpunch mindset in is only if I feel like somebody crosses me the wrong way. I never mm-hmm. go into a situation where, I'm trying to one up, or I'm trying to show better, or I'm trying yeah. to do something. I just always like you my support action. people. I do, and I always want my action. But then, I, if I have a resentment, I bury the the hatchet, mm-hmm. but the barrel's still sticking out. Mm-hmm. Right, the handle's mm-hmm. still sticking out. Yeah, like I, it's hard for me to let a resentment go because I, I, you know, patterns. I, yep. you get good at this stuff, you start recognizing patterns. Yeah, you can see things that are going to happen before they happen. Not to be that I'm predicting, but that's kind of what yep. happens. So, long story unless I, I um. I'm doing good. I'm playing basketball. These guys want me to hang out. They're giving me extra money. You know, they're, 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 I'm, I still didn't relapse yet, yeah. but it's coming. Wow. How long it's has coming. it been? So I was sober um, from June to November because okay. I failed Great. my Series 7. That's awesome. Okay. I failed my Series 7 and I went, you know, and had fun. I thought, like, yeah. for the next six months, I kept failing it. I failed it twice. Yeah, and then the third time I took it, I passed it. So, so I got sober in June, relapsed in November. From November to when I passed it in July, my emotional life collapsed mm. because now I have AA in me. Mm-hmm. I have sobriety. I see what the other side looks like. Yeah, and now I feel like, dude, you are. You just can never do it. You're a bum. Mm. You're you you you're terrible. Every day, self-deprecating. Every day. Um, I passed the test and, you know, there's a party at my house that night and everyone's like, yeah, Rob's going to be a bro. Like yeah. it was a celebration. I'm going to make money. And I'm saying, wow, these, they have no idea. Like I can't even show up for work, Yeah, you know? So I'm actually, I don't go to work or I'm late the next day. Mm-hmm. And that trainer I was telling you about was having a sales training meeting. And I just, I got a new sponsor and, and I remember saying like, there's, it's either going to be do cocaine for the rest of your life or get a job. Mm. 
It can't be both. And um, I survived that weekend. I read the big book of AA. This isn't mm-hmm. a big book. Program. I'm just telling you what I did. I read the big book yep. of AA. And uh, that Monday, I started my recovery journey. And awesome. I haven't had a drink since. Wow. And this is 19. 19- and I was in 1996. 96. Yeah. So, um, you know, once I got sober and I was following the steps, and, and, and I think for all entrepreneurs, one percenters, they could, they could definitely attest to following and sticking to a process and seeing what success looks and mm-hmm. feels like with fulfillment, that, 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 could, become, that could be a good addiction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's where I began to become a level two, three, four, five listener. I began to listen better. Okay. And, and, I, and I enjoyed not being the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in that mindset, and sometimes I fall out of it, but when I'm in it, I I love to to create, innovate, and just kind of stay in a place of how could I do better? Yeah. How could I serve? What could I learn from this? So um, for my first four years, I still lived at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think year one, I made 12 grand. Wow. Year two, 28. Year three, 42. Year four, 75,000. Wow. Grinding um, in New York City. Yeah, I lived at day. home. Yep. Um, I didn't date anybody for the first year because that's what mm-hmm. they told me not to do. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I dated a couple of people and then, you know, I got married in 2003 when I was sober okay. seven or eight years. My wife has never seen me drunk, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean she hasn't seen me emotionally get yeah. crazy because yeah. that yeah. happens. That's a real yeah. thing. Yeah. But if you go 1996, 97, 98, 99 into 2000, you know, I made 125000 that year. Awesome. And here's the biggest mistake. Remember, I have a Series 7. Mm-hmm. All I know how to do is pitch a stock over the phone. Okay. I don't know how to diversify portfolios. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how to diversify within and amongst asset classes, understand the difference between, you know, large cap, small cap, mid cap, even though I passed the test, um, you know, international versus global, what it really looks like to create the optimal amount of wealth with mm-hmm. little or no additional out-of-pocket cost with the integration and coordination of assets. All I know how to do is pitch one stock, have somebody say yes after seven minutes mm-hmm. because I made 400 dials. Uh, 85 people, I got past the first seven seconds to the first minute. I got to the first, what what, what I now call formation agreement, mm-hmm. but I then called close. They would say no. A portion mm-hmm. would say no. I would say, I understand how you feel. A lot of people felt that way, what they found out to my second close mm-hmm. and eventually to my third close. So 85 would pick up, um, 30 would get to past the minute and three would say yes. Wow. And that math is so not even, not even 1%. Predictable math. That predictable math got me, uh, by the time I got to 06, 07, I was making a million dollars a year. <laughs> Love it. Right. So 07, let's say 08, 07, 08, 09, 800, 900, a million, million. And but what was kept, happening, you kept the same formula, the same drive, the same grind, commuting. Yeah. Wow. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. No, oh. no, sorry. So um at this point, I was I was still commuting up until 2002. Okay. 2003, I opened up my own branch office okay. oh, in a different part of New Jersey, Red okay. Bank, New Jersey. And I then trained people to do what I did. Okay, awesome. And so if I opened up 3,000 accounts from 1996 to 2003. Wow. Over the phone, I trained ten other people to do a thousand accounts. Nice, right? Nice. So, because I had the formula, I mm. knew the formula. I knew how to train it, and I knew how to transfer it. That's amazing. And um, thank you. And you know, I ran with that two thousand seven, eight, nine.
but I stopped growing. I stopped training. Mm-hmm. My economic temperature of what I thought I was worth began to present itself because mm-hmm. I would miss meetings. I was rude and I made bad investment decisions. Mm. You, right? you, uh, you I didn't rest, drink. Rested on your laurels. Yeah. And I and I and I I bought a boxing promotional company, um, you know, a nice size house. Yeah. And I stopped giving back to people. Mm. That's the truth. And giving doesn't have to be money. It's training, time, love, yes. compassion, empathy. Creating soldiers. Yeah. So um, my money began to pull back, and mm. then my business took a massive, like a meteor hit it because I wasn't innovating and I wasn't keeping up with the. This is just as important as anything you've talked about today. Just the, and thank you for being real. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, uh, 2012, that, that kind of, you know, I was in a lawsuit with a client whose dad coached me in basketball. It's the craziest story. Um, and it kind of, the people that were working with me at that time, remember I wasn't building, they got comfortable. They saw, Mm -hmm. you know, me as a normal person, not as, you know, this guy that was pretty good at what he did. So they yeah. all they all went their own way. Mm. And I had a re and by the way, it was the greatest thing that ever happened. Of to course. be clear, when I think back on that, if that never happened, I wouldn't be here with you right now. Mm. I promise you, because if I was really good at that side, I never would have learned the insurance game the mm-hmm. way I now know it. And I never would have been able to find myself reading Tony Robbins's book, Yeah, Money Masters of the Game in 2015 which led me on a path because I saw the marketing of what he was doing, which was incredible, mm-hmm. where he was on stage educating folks about fees and risk and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And from his stage, people would go to creative planning and sit down and do their finances. Mm-hmm. It was a genius. Mm-hmm. And when you look deeper, he sat on the board. So there was a, and it's all good. This is, this is capitalism. Yeah. But there was a, 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 some sort of rev share, right? Mm-hmm. Based on that model, which I thought was a genius. And I remember thinking egotistically, of course, I'm going to go to the Tony Robbins event because he's not talking about life insurance. Yeah. And I'm going to be the one that sells life insurance. So I go to a Tony Robbins event, 2017. Um, now I'm, now I'm rebuilding everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I went from a million down to seven, six and five mm-hmm. back up again. But now my, my rebuild is I want to model that book. And um, I go to Tony. I realized pretty quick that I'm not going to become his partner. There was 18,000 people there. Um, and I, I played as best as I could for four days. It was a it was in Newark, New Jersey, unleashed mm-hmm. the power within. I walked on fire. Um, I did all the things you were supposed to do, yep. but I didn't take those principles back to my regular world. And mm-hmm. this was in July. By the time I got to September, I was like, "Yeah, this isn't going to work." But there was one thing I want to share with you. When I had um, when that business disruption happened to me for an hour. There was a time that I felt like, because I have a you know twelve million dollar death benefit, I felt my, my wife and three kids would be better off if I, I was dead. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, amazing, you didn't go back to drinking cocaine too, because it, it, like that that's kind of the elephant in the room for me right now. Is yeah. how how did you avoid that? You you went from did you skip over that and go right to uh, I'm better off dead, or did you did you were you attempted to drink and do go um, that world again? You know what's interesting when so. I always I was sober the whole time working a program, uh-huh. but when this business disruption happened, uh-huh. um, there was like a little lag in my life that not only was I not, you know, continuously building my business uh-huh. and I wasn't prepared for that, but I also hadn't been going to as many meetings. Uh-huh. And um, when that happened, 
And that night for about an hour yeah. that I was like, there, and no, no one could get me on the phone. I was really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. The guy that, that I worked with in 1995 happened to be doing a 30-day program with me because I had reached out to him because I wanted to take the next step in my business. His name is Jay Bilstein. Mm-hmm. Um, he saved my life that night. Wow. Because you, you needed him at that time, at that moment, in that phase of your life. He saved my life. Wow. And he was there. This was in May. I had reached out to him in January. We formed a strategy over 90 days. And when he got there, like the day before, the, the, the you know what hit the fan. Yeah. So it's so crazy how the universe, how God works. Yeah. Because well, it's, it's he so put impressive. him there for me that yeah. night. So to answer your question, no. The only time I have thoughts of alcohol and drugs is when really good things happen. Mm. I buckle down when thing, when bad things happen. I you buckle down. I buckle and fight. I, I, that's I, I wanted to bring that out because you yeah. overcome. You, I visually, I'm an artist, a musician, and do lots yeah. of visual art. I see your life as you almost had two or three humps, right? You had this wave, yeah, and then crash and burn, then and then you get up to a million dollars earning, and you got your formula. Uh, I, I've seen other people get to the top and they get they relax, right? Yeah, and uh, and uh, and then you learn. Uh, from relaxing right and you overcame it it's it, it is amazing though that you buckle down you don't feel sorry for yourself you may maybe a little um yeah. but but you go right back up that's yeah. that's the grit that's the entrepreneurial way that's that's the lesson um do you do you still go to aa yeah i'll, I'll i love because i travel a lot yeah. so i so love listening to meetings okay because what happens is sometimes you get the really really good speakers mm-hmm. that really understand the program um, what and, I, and I'm going to tie into the give back in a second mm-hmm. because AA is about helping the other person stay sober, not about mm-hmm. what what listener what what meeting I could hear. Yeah, that part is not as prominent as it could be. However, the way I'm giving back is in a way that is more humanity driven, yeah. which, which I'll talk about in a second. But I want to touch on something because one of the things I didn't understand back in 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 was I was a good producer, but I was I was not a business owner. I did not, mm. I was an operator. Mm. I wasn't a business owner. Yeah. And all of a sudden when I go to Tony and then um, I see my friend and partner, Sean Callagy speak, he's a lawyer in New Jersey mm-hmm. and um, he's fresh off of two jury verdicts of 27 and $33 million. Wow. But all I hear him saying is Tony talk. Mm. He sounded like Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I got to get to know that dude. And, um, you know, in that moment, I said to myself, he's going to be Tony Robbins and Epic, that's our company, mm-hmm. is going to be creative planning. Awesome. Right. That Tony create. That was that was what I and then yep. I, I declared that sh- that in 2017. Wow. And I began to learn how to become a business owner. Right. What's the difference? Uh, I, I want to hear from you. What's, so what's last that? year, um, my company did seven, six and a half to seven million in revenues. And I was directly responsible for about 800 of it. Mm. The year before mm. that, we did, let's say, 2.2 million, and I was directly responsible for 1.8. Okay. So I replaced myself. Yes, you replaced yourself. Did you take? Did you have to take a risk? Did you were you uncomfortable for six months, a year? Did you have enough built up that you could take a risk? Like, when um, did you take the leap? Uh, well, um, beautiful question, and and life did it for me because um, my son. In December of 2021, got cut from his JV basketball team, mm. which, you know, for me, 
that's a hard pill to swallow. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, and my, me and my wife, you know, we said, Hey, if you're not going to play basketball, you got to, you got to do track. Yeah. Cause we didn't want him in the bedroom. And, yeah. um, you know, he said he wanted to give it a crack, but he's going to do whatever it takes. And at that point I had built up a good momentum in the business. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to a, a friend of mine, coach Shempy. And I, I said, listen, my son got cut. Um, can you, can we go to the fort, which is a basketball facility? Mm -hmm. And can I get some training in and hire someone to help him? And he said, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you create a team for kids that got cut? Mm. So January of 2022, right? Wow. I started, and it wasn't a plan. I started getting involved in basketball mm -hmm. in a giving, way that- Giving back to the community. That's what this yeah, show is about. So for the first two months, January and February, they were called the cut crew. Mm. And I was going to work, but you know, I started training my salespeople because I began to see that I was, I was going down this path. Yeah. And I, I'm talking like real deep training. So I really, and, and then my connectors and my drivers where leads come in, we've gone from eight to 3,000 leads a month over the last three years through these relationships. So I started training my guys and gals. And um, by the time we get to March, which is AAU season, someone mm -hmm. says, hey, do you want to coach an AAU team? And I was like, all right. I, I, I said yes. Mm -hmm. I like saying yes. So we did a 65-game schedule. Wow. Over like four months. And Jeez. in the middle of that, one of my one of my really good friends and partners had asked me if I wanted to go to the Ukraine because I loved the feeling I was getting mm -hmm. helping these kids. And I began to really despise privilege. Mm -hmm. And um I said, Yeah, because I wrote checks to other charities and I knew I had no idea where the money was going. Mm -hmm. So this was a hundred grand. And wow. I went to Ukraine wow. and I learned what freedom was really about. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that um, a, is that a big motivator for you to teach financial uh, literacy and and to give yeah. freedom as well? Yeah, I don't want people to feel the way I felt when it comes yeah. to money. That's yeah. the bottom line. Yeah, financial insecurity is the worst feeling in the mm -hmm. world. People causes, do so many crazy things. A lot things. of anxiety too. Anxiety, bad decisions, fighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, everything about it's not good, yeah. and uh, that that breaks my heart. That makes me sad for people because I've been given a gift. And I wish I could take this gift and give it to everybody. Mm -hmm. And you are giving it. And, and let them know, like, you, you can do this. I Listen, I didn't graduate college. Um, you know, I had a really tough life, but people yeah. had tougher lives than me. Yeah. One of my partners in AAU, when he was six years old, his mom killed herself. Hmm. When he was seven years old, his grandmother died. Eight years old, his grandfather died. Ten years old, his uncle died. By the time, and he was a really good basketball player, mm -hmm. by the time he was 17... He was all state in New Jersey, um, had a full scholarship to Syracuse, was going to play with Carmelo Anthony, wow. and he gets a, he gets he sees on ESPN that that Rick Pitino was going to get the job at Louisville, mm -hmm. so he calls up Rick Pitino, who then gives him a a an opportunity at Louisville, goes to Louisville, mm -hmm. and then the first off season practice can't get the ball over half court, and Pitino tells him that you're going to lose your scholarship. And he said, Coach, give me 30 days. Watch this. And for 30 days, he trained physically three times wow. and shot a thousand jumpers each after each wow. training session, which is three thousand shots a day for 30 days. That's wow. 90,000 shots. His name wow. is Taekwon Dean. He then led Louisville to a final four, still leads the school in three-point shooting and led the nation in three-point shooting. Wow. His life was 35 times harder than my life. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah. So when we talk about, um, you know, you, what I've learned is 
fulfillment is not thinking about how bad you have it. You know, think about how bad other people have it and understand that if you could help serve and contribute, the fulfillment became very powerful. Yeah. So what's your suit? I'll go ahead. uh, My two business partners on the way back from Ukraine basically said, Rob, you got to go back to work. Mm. <laughs> so, so I was like, and I was really pissed off that they said that. So, um, what did they need you for? I just, I, yeah, what did they need you for? Because I, I was going to ask you, what's your superpower? They needed something from you. What was it? They, they, they financially, they do very well with me. Um, yeah. I just think that they, they just saw me doing stuff that was outside of what we did to get to where we were. My, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, my superpower is mm-hmm. listening, uh, edifying not taking up space, serving. Um, I believe that- Train, Training, training. One of the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the greatest things, one of my greatest gifts is the fact that I genuinely listen to people. And if I believe that you are genuine and you can um, help move me to whatever I'm getting moved to, I will, I will listen and follow religiously. Awesome. But if I feel that you're not, that's a little bit more challenging to me. I got to tie back into prayer and faith and trusting in God and asking myself a better yeah. question. Um, but I love listening to people's stories rather than telling mine. Well, you've told it beautifully. What's in the future for you? What are you doing tonight? What are you doing tomorrow? What are you doing in the next year? What, what, what's your outlook? Mm, beautiful. So I think that um, I did go back to work, by the way. And okay. when, I, when I mean work, I, I, I then met David Meltzer who uh, then introduced me to Randy Garn, which is why I'm here today, right? Um, And the AAU season came knocking because I I did have an impact last year. Mm -hmm. But I remember I said I wasn't going to do it again because it did take me away from work. Mm -hmm. And um, this time I said, if I'm going to do it, I can't coach. So what I did, because when you look at the AA system, it's so bad. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, people have these programs for all these teams, but they really only have one team and – Parents pay a lot of money to yeah. really get an average product. So mm-hmm. I said, um, if I do it, I'm going to hire coaching staff and two what I call drivers. So I hired, I have three coaches and I have two drivers. One of them is Taekwondin. Another wow. one is uh, Nick Marinello, who coaches Hudson Catholic in New Jersey. Awesome. He has over 470 wins. If you're wow. watching March Madness, one of his players is the point guard for Alabama. Awesome. Um, He also has the number one point guard in the country and um, he is a driver and I I put that together this week. We had tryouts, but I'm here doing all kinds of wonderful business and sharing that I wouldn't have been able to do had I not done it this way. Um, Somehow I found myself in a place of massive disruption in the AU space that, um, you know, I'm playing a fun game and and the goal is to create blue collar minded teams, two way players, not not someone to come down and just shoot 30 times, but really build yeah. out an environment. So when these kids go back to high school, they can mm-hmm. become very powerful and impactful. But here's the thing, though. The NIL, name, image, and likeness, is a real thing. Mm-hmm. So these athletes can now get paid. So mm-hmm. what a lot of folks don't know, a lot of parents that pay for these programs, they don't realize that the marquee players in college now are not high school players anymore. Mm-hmm. It's the current college players because they have experience and these current college players are the ones that the coaches are looking for because in the budget, they could pay them to come into the transfer portal. Mm. That's a powerful bit of information yeah. that people don't know about. 
Mm. So now all of a sudden, I'll finish with this. I am interviewing a father who has the best point guard in France to come over. And um, I'm also working on two kids from Africa. One of them is a six foot eight point guard. Another one is a seven foot point center. guard. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then during the day, I'm wow. going to just create wealth and build out the epic financial yeah. strategies team and, and all that other stuff. And awesome. And, and have that kind of fun. We, we dug into community. Thank you for pointing out all the things you're doing for community. We pointed out your career. We pointed out addiction and, uh, gritting through life and being an entrepreneur and overcoming so much. Um, this has been amazing. I've, I've gotten the chills a few times. I don't know about you, Nash, but oh yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very, it, very impactful, very inspiring. Um, thank you for coming. Thank you for bringing your entourage. It was awesome to see you pull up in a limo and, <laughs> and uh, six of you get out and come up here with well, cameras. We, we didn't do it for showcase. I, I you know, it's, <laughs> I know, I, I know. I'm telling, I'm telling the audience that because it, I was like, Oh, <laughs> This this is more than what I thought we were getting into. This is it was yeah. awesome. So thank you. I'm super grateful to be here, guys, and and your stories collectively in the limited uh, version that I heard. Heart yeah. um, heart wrenching and and also inspiring, uh, Nash. And I love what you did and say about I you know yeah. what you stand for is incredible and yeah. and being here and right now is is a gift and I'm and I'm grateful. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, All right, everybody. Thank you, Rob. From Epic Financial Strategies, thank you for your story and, and all yeah. that you've done. We'll see you guys next yeah. time. Bye-bye, guys. Are you okay with this? I'm not for sale.